This week on Lead One, victory and losing with Chris Mural. Welcome to the Lead One Podcast, where our mission is to lead leaders through leadership. The goal is to get 1% better every day. Let's see what Drew and the guys have to say. Welcome back to Lead One Podcast. I've got the crew with us today, Brandon, France, and Sam Buck. What up? So, Sam, this week when you actually presented this topic idea of victory and losing, um, obviously anyone that's listened knows that you have an uh, athletic background with football, and so I, th- I think you were coming up with this topic with a maybe a business athlete mindset. Is that yeah, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, it, I think I've learned so much more in losing than I ever have in winning. Okay. And um, uh, many times we talk about uh, embracing the storm, right? And a lot of times the storm is the thing that we feel like we didn't just quite meet the mark on. And I think a lot of times we take advantage of those losses instead of taking the lessons from those losses. Um, so uh, one of the biggest things that, that stood out to me in sport is just the sport of baseball, right? Yeah. I never could play – I never played baseball because I didn't have the patience. Okay. Right? <laughs> like you, like I played football and basketball um, because it was constant action. I could get immediate gratification, immediate revenge. I don't have to wait five innings, you know what I mean? And I, I, I just admire the patience of baseball players. So we're we're fortunate. Speaking of baseball, um, to to have a baseball player with us this morning, um, Chris, welcome. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks, thanks for being with us. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, so Chris played um, was was drafted to the Tampa Bay Rays. Played two thousand nine to two thousand twelve. Um, and so, yep. Chris, let's uh, let's let's back up a little bit. You're from the uh, big city of. Mobile, Alabama. Is that right? Mobile, born and raised. Theodore High School, baby. I got you. So, uh, hometown's star on the baseball team, I take it? Um, yeah. You know, it was funny. Uh, in high school, we had, a, uh, we had a really good team, but me and a buddy of mine uh, that, that played with me, Contrell, he was actually like the, the star of Theodore. He ended up, uh, he was a first-round pick, but Contrell, when we were like in like freshman or sophomores, man, there was scouts lined up behind the uh, bleachers watching him play and I, I guess I benefited a lot from that um, so yeah I mean I was good but I don't think I really like understood that I could play at a higher level until college so you uh, oh I got you so you didn't even have that 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 awakening till you were already in college is what you're saying yeah I, I guess from my standpoint because I mean I always knew like I always felt I was good right because you know you have stats that show it and, and you have success you know, in the game, but I never thought about it. I always wanted to play professional baseball, right? Like every kid's dream, like whatever they want to do. That's, that's what I always wanted to do. And I always remember growing up, always like emulated, always King Griffey Jr. To me is like, he will always be the best ever. And so I always grew up with that. And I always wanted to like be King Griffey Jr. And so like going through high school, you know, I was a pitcher, and it's so funny um, that that was kind of my primary position in high school. And then I didn't pitch a day after uh, a, a day. Once I got to college, once high school ended, I never threw another ball again off the mound. And so it was so interesting. Um, so uh, I mean, like, like I said, I was good, but I don't think I was. Un- I fully understood how good I could be. Put it that way. I got you. So when Sam and I were having this conversation about baseball in general, obviously Sam was coming at it more from a uh, patience aspect. Something that has always baffled me about baseball is, you know, a, a 300 batting average puts you in the Hall of Fame, um, which basically means 70% of the time things didn't go your way. Tell me, what's does a baseball player have to have a different mindset versus an, another type of athlete, in your opinion? Yeah, so I think the ones who are successful do. Um, I've played with guys and that's such a great question because I've played with guys who had all the talent in the world, but mentally they could not overcome the failure. Um, you know, when, especially as you continue to increase levels, you know, the, the only difference in that, and I try to tell this anytime I would work camps and I would tell young kids, 
I'd say, you know, the only difference between somebody that's in the major leagues versus somebody that's, say, in high school, right? So somebody in high school could have the same talent level. The only difference is between the ears. Because now what, what you have is you, you've got to understand and you have to go in understanding that failure, it, 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 there is no option. You're going to fail. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Statistically speaking, there's no possible way for you to succeed more than you fail, right? It's just, it's just not possible. And so what happens is you get a lot of guys who are talented and a lot of people who are always used to uh, succeeding more than they fail. And if, if you guys know, you got the, you know, the 12-year-old who, who hit puberty, who's, you know, six foot two, who's, you know, off a little league mound, throwing equivalent to like 98, and nobody touches him in little league, right? But as soon as he gets to high school or as soon as he gets to college, all of a sudden he starts giving up hits and it's never happened to him before. Or, you know, the hitter who was always hitting home runs or always, you know, uh, could hit for a high average, who was like a 400 hitter in little league or 400 hitter in college. And then all of a sudden they get to, you know, pro ball and then they're like a 250 hitter. And so I think that's the biggest thing is, is that it's, you've got to understand that it, I call it the quarterback mentality. I know it's football versus baseball, but like, you know, they always say like, all right, you know, quarterback goes interception. You got to forget about it and rethrow another pass. It's the same with baseball. You know, y'all were talking about it on the intro. The, the toughest part about it is, and this is where people lose it, and I used to be – baseball taught me so much discipline. If I would strike out in the first inning, I would be so mad just waiting till you know, the fifth inning, fourth, fourth or fifth inning, depending on, you know, the way the game went before I could get back up to bat, right? And so I would just, it would just fester with me, and it would sit with me for like three or four outs, and then all of a sudden, you know, a couple innings later, I'd be like, all right, cool, I, I completely forgot what happened. So I think, Drew, to your question, I think in order for the people to be successful in the game, um, 100%, I think that they've got to they've got to be able to have that mentality and understanding that it's not it's not necessarily real failure, but you've got to look at the result of what occurred. If that makes sense. I got you. Yeah, it almost I was, for a minute there. I was wondering if we were even talking about baseball anymore. Um, <laughs> So, so let's let, let's continue on with with your journey. So, started uh, went out of high school to Alabama Southern. Mm-hmm. You were telling me a story since since our topic is the the victory and losing. You were telling me a story about uh, in junior college. There's a fall and a spring season, and that the the fall season is you know more for uh, fun. I guess maybe if that's the right word. And after your fall season, having a conversation with your coach. T- tell us about that story. Yeah, so um, the way it works is like majority of junior colleges, they have a fall season. It's probably 20 games, and mainly it's just kind of getting getting in and then kind of getting used to everything. Um, everybody comes in, and then you kind of get a good look of where your team's going to be. Uh, and so the games mean nothing other than, you know, you just get to play another team and, you know, kind of work on some stuff. So uh, I was coming in uh, for my high school, you know, going into my freshman year. It's your freshman year of college, so – you know, you're dealing with a lot of things. It was my first time staying away from home. Um, it was my first time, you know, having to really be reliant upon myself, so to speak. And and I was struggling um, with baseball, something I've never really done before. This is the first time I really started uh, facing failure with baseball. Um, I was struggling. Uh, I, was, I was adapting. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You know, now looking back, I mean, it was probably just one of those things that I needed to it really helped me become more mentally strong but at the time man I was just struggling and so uh, I was my gift in baseball was speed Um, I was very very fortunate that I could just absolutely fly and one of the things about speed in baseball is you know there's there's a saying they said speed should never slump because you can bunt you can do different things and you you know you can hit a high chopper and run it out and get a single right so the end of fall we have what's called fall evaluation um, so you go in, you meet with the coach one-on-one and he kind of tells you where you stand going into the spring season. So I go in and we're sitting there and he sits down and he goes, Hey, look, man, he goes, you know, I think we made a mistake. Uh, he goes, you know, it's a, uh, he goes, you, you have what, uh, what I call unusable speed. Uh, your swings long, you don't really bunt that well. Like, you know, you're, you're really fast, but it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. You can play a little defense that doesn't, you know, so I'm thinking maybe it might not be the best idea for you to come back in the spring. You know, if you look, if you want to come back, you can finish it out or whatever. But man, I just don't really see a spot for you here on the team. And so when he told me that, there was there was one of two things that could have occurred. 
Um, and the one that did occur was uh, some expletives that I threw at him, um, <laughs> and then and then uh, told him, "I'll you know I'll see you in the spring." And so um, I left there, and then I went home. Uh, you know, it's like a 25, 24 day break over Christmas, and you know, in between semesters. Uh, and I went home, and that's all I did for four straight weeks, dude. I just I was like the my my need to prove him wrong superseded anything else I was thinking. Nice. Like I had to like the desire to just take my middle finger and put it in his face. Like, Oh it, dude, it lit a fire under me like never before. So tell us about that spring season. And then I think even maybe more importantly, your sophomore year. Yeah. So I came back in the spring, um, and, uh, you know, ended up starting first game, ended up with a great, uh, great first year, uh, first year as a, you know, Duke all American, um, went over 400, they got batted, I don't know, maybe like 408, 410, something like that. And then um, I came back sophomore year and uh, had an incredible sophomore year. Uh, you know, Juco All-American set me up, um, had a good uh, good run um, when it came to the season. I mean, I had probably statistically my best season overall. I mean, I probably hit around 380, 390. Um, but as far as everything else, you know, I, I, was, I was one of the captains of the team, so to speak, right? So it's not like we had the C on the jersey, but there was a couple of the sophomore guys that kind of led it. Um, and, and we came back, and it was just a night and day difference. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things, too, and I go back and I look at it, and that was one of those instances where I think that meeting, and unintentionally, and, I, and I've never talked to my coach about this. Like, man, we're cool now. I mean, I, I told him, you know, we laughed about different things, but I think he was doing that to, to push me because he maybe thought I needed that extra something to get over it. Um, but, man, just looking back at it now, I'll, I'll, I'll always go back to that meeting, and I remember that because think about this. You're an 18-year-old kid. You're out of high school, right? You're, 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 you're in college for the first time. You're struggling. You have all these things going on. You're trying to balance, figuring out, you know, uh, what, you know what, what, what's going on here, what's going on there. Oh, i got to keep my grades up. Now i got to get you know, ready for baseball. I, like, I've got to do all these certain things. And then all of a sudden, the one thing you've always wanted to do, and you're in college, you're feeling good, and coach tells you, man, you probably shouldn't come back. And that was a lot, right? That was a lot to deal with, um, you know, as an 18-year-old kid. And so, you know, I, I think that was one of the first times in my life where my, like, my desire to win, like, just, it, it, it jumped to the forefront, right? So my, my need to succeed, like, would outweigh any failures I could have possibly faced. Yeah, I mean that's that's the difference between being interested and being committed, right? Right. When I look at the game of baseball, man, I um I admire it uh, for a couple reasons. One is once you get past the college level, when you get to the highest of the heights, you still have to earn your stripes. Like you you literally have to. It, it seems like you have to go through the farm leagues to get back to the majors to get to the top of the top. Um, it, you, you, is that a struggle for mindset? Is that a big reason why you say uh, mindset is important at the at the highest level of that thing? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I'm glad you brought that up. So we, you you've heard the term the grind, right? Right. Everybody knows about the grind. So when you're in the minor leagues, people don't realize this. So when you're in the minor leagues, here's what happens. Okay, you get drafted and you get sent to a team. So when I first got drafted, because I had college experience, I got sent to single A, so I didn't have to go to rookie ball. Um, so there, there, just to give you a quick, you have rookie ball, you have short season single A, you have long season low single A, you have long season high single A, double A, triple A, big league. So you have multitude of levels, but here's the deal. When you're in the minors, like when I first got, when I first got signed, you're in the minor league. So you're going and you're working seven months out of the year, mm -hmm. give or take. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, your season's going to start spring training in March maybe April and you're done in September making phenomenal okay. money, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say. So when you're in the minor leagues, here's the deal. You're when you're in single A, $1,200 a month, $1,200 a month. Oh, by the way, you're responsible for finding your own housing. You're responsible for everything. That's a livable. Wage. Um, yeah. 1200 bucks a month. And you got to think you're, you're on a bus. So you play 142 games in the minor league. So people, you know, big leagues, you play 162, Minor leagues, you play 142. Difference between the minor leagues and big leagues, obviously, pay is a distinct difference. But the other thing is, you're a bus rider. Uh, so minors, man, you, you talk about the grind. You, 
you get up and this is I'll give you the day in the life of a professional baseball player, okay? Doesn't matter big league minor league doesn't you wake up, typically the gym, you have what what we call gym calls or gym days, which were at all, during season, minimum three to four days a week, have to. Mm-hmm. And so you meet at the gym 8 a.m., right? So it doesn't seem late, but I'll, I'll get to where I'm going with it. So you start at 8 a.m. You get you get up, you go to the gym, get your workout in, or eat breakfast, go to the gym, get your workout in, um, get done with your workout, leave, go to the field. Uh, probably get to the field around 10, 10.30. Um, then we can have, you know, you get the cages, maybe 11, 11.30 going into noon, grab some lunch and then early, and then early practice starts. So if, if, if the game's at six or six Oh five, then boom, one o'clock you're out on the field. So outfielders are working outfield drills and filters and filters, pitchers, PFPs, um, you know, and you're, and you're working. So from about one to two, you're doing that. And then you'll go into BP, um, uh, from about two to three, two to three thirty, give or take, you might take an infield or something. Then you go into the locker room. You go in the locker room from about four, uh, from about, you know, three thirty or four going into five o'clock. You know, you get dressed, shower, whatever you want to do, go ahead and get your uniform on, be on the field, uh, for five twenty five stretch. So you go pregame, five twenty five stretch, game starts at six oh five, play the game, nine innings, you know, let's say that average game's two hours, forty five, three hours, right? You just I mean, that's just what it is. So you get done probably nine, nine thirty. You go into the locker room, you shower, try to grab some food, um, get on the road to go back to your apartment that you're sharing with four other guys because you can't afford anything else. And then, you know, and then by the time you get done, it's 11 or midnight, and then boom, you're waking up, time to time to get back on it. And it's just, man, you're, you're just in this never-ending cycle. Um, and, and so one of the things, the mental fatigue of it, and that's why I always say, man, that the difference is the guys in the big leagues that are consistent is between the years because – the mental fatigue on it is far worse, in my opinion, than the physical. Okay. Yeah, the physical comes, but you know it's like anything else, right? If you can, if you if you can mentally put yourself there and understand, I always looked at it as, dude, I'm gonna miss these days when I'm in the big leagues and I'm making like all this money because these this is like what sharpens you, right? This is what teaches you, like what you need to overcome in order to be able to sustain a big league season. Teaches you that mindset. You've got that's, to. That's what it's you're so saying. important. So yeah, 100%. So you you make it to the big leagues, the pinnacle, you've arrived 2009 to 2012. I got my dates right, right? Yeah, so yeah, so I ended up um yeah, so I ended up I get in so my my first big league experience is spring training 2011. Okay. Yeah, 2011, then, yeah, spring training. And then so okay, so you you had a full season there, right? Uh, no, no, no. So I had, um, I have a, between 2009, 10, I'm, I'm working up through my, all my, all my big league experience and everything I have big league wise was all spring training wise. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm what they call a, uh, I was on a, what they call a top prospect, right. In the organization. Gotcha. Cause I performed well, right. I think my first year single a, you know, about a 308 doing really, really well. My next year as a, a you know, mid season all-star got called up to high A. And my trajectory is there. And so I'm in big league, you know, I'm playing in big league spring training games in 2011. I'm doing really, really well. And then going into 2012, um, when I'm, you know, I, I, heck, I was at the first, I was at the exhibition game at the Trop. So they do a uh, exhibition game every year. Uh, if you're familiar with baseball, so they'll do two or three at the big league field or at the big league stadium before the first game of the year. So if April the 5th or April the 6th is opening day, April 3rd and 4th and 5th, they're going to be playing games at the big league field, right, before the first official opening day. It's like the end of spring training, but it's also like that, that exhibition game before. Kind of like and a so hype, hype the, the fans up, that kind of thing. 100%. And so I'm at the I'm at the trop for that game, right? So everything trajectory-wise was going right where it needed to go. Um, and then you have one game, we're playing the Blue Jays, uh, and the ball was hit in left center field. And I'm, and so I had what's called the high route. So if you're in the outfield, you have a high route and a low route. Just means basically, you know, you kind of talk to the your corner fielders. I was playing center at the time. And I said, "Hey, high ball, I got high. Low ball, you got low." That means if it's a line drive in the gap and it's sinking, the left fielder would take the low ball, and then I would back them up. And then if it's a high, then I would take the high, and then they would fall back. So the ball was hitting the gap, and I ended up running, and I elevated my body. When I did, I caught the fence. And when I did, I ended up um, fracturing my spine. Uh, and whenever that occurred, 
I knew something was wrong immediately. Uh, my, I just remember my legs uh, locking up and like my, my, my muscles just, they squeezed so tight on my back that I remember like I was, I was like numb in my legs. And I knew I was like, man, something's not right. And so it, it was like that immediate, like, boom. So you, you, you go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and within 15 seconds. Understanding that, like, something, something's different here. And I remember it was, it was, I was like, man, you know, something's got to be, you know, something's got to be up. But if you've ever, if you've ever experienced any kind of back pain or anything like that, I, just, I couldn't stand up straight. That was the worst part about it. And so whenever it happened, I was just like, man, you know, something, yeah, what's happening? What's going on? What's here? And so I got back and then obviously I went and, and got a, uh, got an x-ray MRI and, and did all this other stuff. And that's what they told me. He said, yeah, you got a spinal fracture. We're going to have to, you know, we, you got a few options, but you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to look and see what's going to be the best option for you. So they, they tried to rehab you throughout the season, but to, to no success, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind so, of how things ended. Yeah. So I went in for a back procedure. Um, I had, uh, it's, very, it's pretty common now, but at the time they call it bone concrete, um, which basically they just go in and, and do a filler. So I went in, had the procedure, um, and then I rehabbed. Uh, I mean, I rehabbed hard for like seven months, man, six or seven months, just nonstop day in and day out. Um, I mean, I was in the aqua therapy pools, like running, you know, treadmills underwater. I was doing all this stuff and I, I, I wasn't feeling pain anymore, but I noticed that I couldn't perform at the same level because if I overdo it or if, if, if I miss a day of working out or if something happens in my core is not 100% strong. I feel it. Yeah. It's like and you're when starting I over. It, 100% man. When I feel it, 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 it's not to the point I can't stand up anymore, but I can't, I knew I could not perform at that level anymore. I knew. There was, was it a, was no uh, way. a mental hurdle that you were going, going through or was it did like, was your body actually not able to, to um, perform? The, uh, the no, it, it was it, it was definitely my body was not able to perform at the same level. So, okay. so here's the deal, right? And, and you were talking, to, y'all were talking about it a little bit earlier. So at this particular point, I'm probably 25, 26 years old. I've been in four or five years. You know, you have 18, 19 year old guys that are getting drafted behind you that are pushing for your spot, and you got guys in front of you that you're trying to push out of the way. And so, anytime you're not playing or anytime you're hurt, that's time that you're not being able to prove your value to the organization because see when you get to the pro ball it's a business it's a business like you don't you're you are how much how much can you i'm trying to think of the nicest way to say this how much can i squeeze out of you statistically and then i'll pay you for it right so it it your value is is what you can do and how often you can be on the field so if you can't perform on the field and you can't perform at a high level, then I'll, you have no value to me in a business standpoint. And so for me, I was, I, I knew that I couldn't perform at the same level because see, I'm a guy that was a, you know, stolen base guy. I'm a guy, bunt, run, get on, fly across the bases. You know what I mean? I'm constantly making stuff happen. And when I could not do that anymore, um, I could do it sporadically, right? I could have one or two games, but then like, there was no way my body was going to be able to help me as much as I wanted it to, there's no way I was going to be able to do the grind. Um, and when you think about that, that, that was the most difficult part of my, of my life and the most difficult time. You, you've worked so hard for something your whole entire life. Right. You've done everything you can to get there. Right. And it's taken away. So what would you feel like is the big, cause I know I, I've rehabbed uh, a few times, man, Achilles and ACL surgeries, microfracture surgeries, and all kind of things. Yeah. And I think I, I've, I've had some 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 transferable uh, lessons that have happened through rehab. Because people don't understand the injury isn't the hardest part; it's the rehab that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, what what do you feel like is your your biggest transferable lesson that that went from uh, what you learned through uh, your injuries into your life? I think the biggest. And that's such a great question. I, I think the biggest thing that I could that, that I kind of took away from it was understanding that things are going to happen out of your control. You're you you're never going to be able to control every aspect of life. There's there's so much that's going to happen outside of your control. So you've got to be able to decide how you're going to handle things that you can't control, 
and then how you're going to handle the things you can control. I think that was one of the biggest, I guess you could say, transferable lessons I learned is is how like how do I handle adversity mm-hmm. that I can't control? Right. How do I handle adversity that's out of my control? And then how do you balance that? Um, and it took me, man, it was it was because I've had other injuries to your point, right? I've had rotator cuff surgery, two ACLs and stuff, but but I've always come back from that. It's different. But this time it was a man. I, I was in a I was not in a good place for probably a good two or three months um, just because again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and so that was that, you know, I just, I just had that one moment where I was just like, man, dude, you've worked your whole life. You've done this. Now it's going like, you, you've got to quit feeling sorry for yourself. You've mm-hmm. got to, you've got to understand this is out of your control. So what can you do to fix it? Like how, what can you do to fix this to be able to put yourself in a position for your life? Like, dude, this was your life for 25 years. But it's over and done with now. So now, what do you have to do? So, so mine was. You said that you yeah, um, it took you three months to get over that. I remember going through like the same situation when I realized you know music was over for me. Um, but it took me way more than a few months. I I think I was uh depressed maybe for like two three years. Man, um, yeah. you know, and um, and when it was actually when I had. Uh, left Warner Brothers, so I was in this good deal with Warner Brothers, and it and then it ended um, abruptly. But it just ended. It was just like over now. You know what I mean? I, you know, just like you said, you work all your adult life at this one career, then it's then it's just over. I kind of took that, and I was depressed for a long time um, until I had to, you know, get up. So, you, so if you did that in two three months, then I think you the goat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's commendable. No, I mean, it, it, so so I say that obviously, I, like it, it hit me longer. But but when I say I got over it, I mean I was able to, I, I was able to overcome and, and finally, I guess you could say, cope with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, it, it still took me probably another year or two, especially during spring. The worst was during spring training, and yeah. I could not go watch a baseball game. Oh, so all, all the it, things that reminded you of of the career. Yeah, because like baseball's got a smell. I, I tell everybody, if you know, you know, right? So, you, like, you go to a park and like you can just smell like the fresh cut grass. You can smell. I know it sounds crazy. But you smell like the leather on the baseballs. Like it, it, it's just, it. it, man. Like you just you you feel it. And so it's it's a it was one of those things. It took me a while, but but to your point, yeah, it probably took me a little bit longer. But it, it was the three months when when I realized like okay, like I've got to be able to make a change. But yeah, it probably took me. You know, it, it probably took me a good. Probably a year or two before I could like really go to a ball game. Now it doesn't bother me. There may be that little inkling that's like, man, I kind of want to get out there. But for the most part, now I think I think it's been so much time now that you know I think it's kind of over and done with when it when it comes to that. You know. So Chris, I wanted to uh, piggyback a little bit on uh, what Sam said as far as um, you know support in baseball and in work because um, we talk about that a lot as well as far as our family dynamic. And how it's important to us to truly be successful. So, from your transition from baseball to work, how was that family support, you know, for you? And also, um, and also that that transition from baseball to your current career. Uh, how was that support? In, in you know, obviously you went through it, and I'm sure your family went through it as well. So, what did that look like from those transitional points? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So for me, the the support was huge because I'll, I'll you know I'll always tell everybody, you know, me and my me and my wife were we were not married at the time. Uh, we were dating and and then uh, you know going into getting engaged, but we were actually just dating. We weren't even engaged yet. But I remember during my rehab and stuff, she came down there uh, to my house in Florida, and man, she helped me. Like when I couldn't, even, I couldn't even stand up straight. She would help me go, you know, help me get in the shower. You know, she would help me get around. There, there was so much stuff because I was in a brace, man. It was very very painful, and so. You know, she helped me then, and it was just like, you know, that's when I was like, man, this is incredible. Like, we're dating. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not even we're not even engaged or married, and then she's down here helping me do all this. And so, and my parents have always been, you know, uh, super supportive uh, of anything I did. You know, my dad, you know, he played, uh, he played for the Red Sox in the 70s. And so, for him, you know, I tell everybody this story, and I was like, you know, my dad never, he always pushed me, but pushed me the right way. And I'll never forget, my first year at T-ball, I didn't want to play baseball anymore after that. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go play football or play basketball or something. I don't want to play t-ball anymore. And he never pushed me to it. 
Um, and then I, you know, didn't play T-ball my second year and then I jumped right into coach pitch, but you know, they've always been super supportive. And when I first got into, you know, the financial services industry, I was trying to figure out the balance, what I wanted to do. Um, and I came aboard and I'll never forget this. My parents, I told them, I said, Hey, um, I said, guys, I said, uh, I don't really have any, uh, I don't really have any suits. Um, <laughs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't really have any suits. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you have like one or two, right. But I was like, man, that's not gonna, like, I need suits. Like I, like this is a professional thing and man, I'll never forget, you know, I'm, I'm what, 27 years old, I guess at the time, 20, I don't know. Uh, and my mom and dad took me out and got suits because my, my dad, you know, he, like he, dude, he's been doing concrete for 35 years and, you know, 40 years. He, he's just like this. And so he was like, yeah, we'll go get you some suits. So we went out and I got, and then, and then got some suits, um, because I, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, what, you know, what's a 44 long or 44 regular, but <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like I've been wearing a uniform. So they had gone out and got me suits and I told my wife, I said, Hey, you know, I know this is going to be different for you because my wife was finishing up her master's at the time. Um, I'd gotten done with ball. I had a brief stint in pharmaceuticals. So the, we weren't, we were in like a transition phase, right? So we had, we had bought a house. We just got married. And so there was a lot of stuff that was all going on right there. And then to tell my wife, Hey babe, I'm going to go work in this, uh, all commission based industry while you're finishing your master's and then working, you know what I mean? Right now, you know, before I get going, we're solely on your income. Um, and, and, and if you look at it, uh, her income wasn't necessarily, you know what I'm saying? She was in college. So right. it was, it was, you know, she was working maybe $10 an hour at a physical therapy clinic. And, and so it was, it, it was like one of those things where you, you talk about the support and she just said, Hey, look, she said, I know you. She said, you'll compete with me just like walking in the front door. Whenever we get back from a grocery store or something, she's like, I had like no doubt that, that you'll be successful in this. Like just cause you're not going to let yourself fail. And so she told me that, and that was one of those, it, it was, that was all I needed. And, and it's a struggle, man. You know, we struggled just about like everybody else does, you know, uh, and even in our industry, when you first start out, you know, I, I faced a lot of adversity and a lot of struggling, but the difference was it was a different kind of adversity. It was, it was such a mental thing. And, and I felt like everything that I'd done in baseball my whole life from training and to going through all the experiences I've had, it made it so much easier for me. Um, compared to some people that never had to deal with failure, right? And it, and it made it so much easier for me to be able to overcome that because as I was overcoming certain things, especially mentally, understanding the, the grind in a different way, I didn't have somebody that wasn't like, hey, you got this. You know what I mean? Like, so, so my wife was always there like, hey, look, you know, you, you got this, you're here, you're that. I didn't, have, I didn't have a naysayer that was there. I didn't have anybody telling me I was crazy for, for jumping into commission-based industry or anything like that. And, and I think that's one of the most important things we do because – as you struggle with yourself individually, overcoming adversity, the worst thing in the world is having a support system that is that is encouraging your negative thoughts. Yeah, it's fueling yeah, that. That's no great. doubt. It, it it that's to me that's that's one of the most difficult things because you know that I always say I'm very very fortunate to have the same group of friends that I've had since we were five and six years old. Not many people can say that. Um, you know, we, we're we're still all super close, and that's the one thing that I've been very fortunate. I've always surrounded myself in a circle of people who are successful and people who push each other. And that's been one of the things too that that I think that I've seen a lot of in our industry is people who have a lot of a lot of talent. They're really similar to what I was talking about with baseball, but they just don't have it between the ears. And so that is one of the biggest things I could say that that's super important to what we do is is that spousal support or even not even spousal, but just your your circle of influence support. Um, you know, because it, I always ask everybody, you know, if somebody's not supporting you, somebody's not pushing you, what what's what's the there, there, there's got to be an underlying factor there, especially if they care about you. Well, they're having a level of influence in your life. It's just whether or not it's supportive or in the opposite direction. Um, Correct. So, Chris, I made I made a connection. You know, I I wanted to kind of keep this hidden till towards the end of the episode. Um, but obviously, you you are a part of um, our organization, Globe Life Liberty National Division. Joined the company uh, 2014. Have held many roles since then, obviously have worked your way up to national director of recruiting for the entire company or the entire division. And so, but I, I, and knowing some of the backstory of realizing you started it at Nickel State almost with them putting a program on your back. And I, and I happen to know that the agency that you joined in Louisiana in 2014 was a startup and, you know, Sam, you made this point earlier about baseball 
maybe is a lot about where you're at. Um, and so I, there again, you're put in a situation where that, that, that office, that agency could have potentially risen or fallen on, on your accord. What advice do you have for someone who's put in that, in that situation, whether it be from an athletic standpoint, like at Nickel State or in a professional and business sense, what opportunities exist there for someone? How, how would you advise that they take advantage of that? So my biggest advice for, for a situation like that, right? So if, if you're put in a situation where you are, I always, always call it if you're, if you're set up for success, right? Because, because there you can face it one or two ways, right? You're, you're, you're set up for success. And you, and you can look at it as either applied pressure or, or, you know, you could, because people, you know, they say, oh, you know, you're in pressure situations or there are certain situations, but, you know, I always define pressure as, you know, how much, you know, what, what's the application of the pressure? Where is it coming from? How's it coming? And so my biggest piece of advice is, is if you want to be in a spotlight or if you want to be in the forefront or if you want to be successful or, you know, whatever, whatever you look at from a driving factor, then you've got to be able to make the most of op- of your opportunity in order to set yourself up for that. So, you know, it, I, I love that, you know, the, the rock has a quote, because uh, I love Dwayne Johnson. He says, you know, when opportunity knocks, right, don't answer the door, kick it in, smile and introduce yourself. And, and I love that because that's kind of the way I, I kind of look at anything, right? It's like, hey, if you're going to give me an opportunity, allow me to fail. Allow me to fail. Allow me to be the one that dictates my failure. You set up the opportunity and allow me to take control of it. And if it doesn't go the way we anticipate it going, allow that to be because of me. Don't allow it to be because of these any, any other factors that may come in. And so my, my biggest, I, I guess you could say my biggest piece of advice would be that allow yourself to be the reason why it doesn't go right. Don't allow anybody else. Okay. You know, you made a comment in, in our conversation yesterday about – that you felt like oftentimes effort was undervalued. And I, I think that that goes along with what you're saying here. Maybe elaborate on that. Yeah. So a lot of times, and especially in, in our industry, because of the fact that it doesn't matter. We have dual markets. So it really doesn't matter what, what market it pertains to. But I feel like a lot of times, you know, you have to look at someone's effort versus the return and then what is the value of that effort so meaning if somebody is putting in the work but the return is not there it's got to be recognized as hey this person is willing to do whatever it takes to make it work i've got to be able to figure out how to help this person get to that next level and and i feel like a lot of times what we do is we look at the hot hand and especially in our industry which is easy to do in sales and we overlook the person who's putting in the effort and who's putting in the, the, the amount of time necessary to see success, they just haven't seen it yet. And that's the person that I'm riding with long-term. I don't want the person who comes in week one, who's a, who all of a sudden, boom, hits it. And then all, you know, week two, week three, they face a little bit of adversity, and then all of a sudden they're gone. They're kind of the like that 6'2 kid in, in middle school, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, 100%. <laughs> that's such a prime example. I want the person who is consistent because that this this it goes back and I was told this a long time ago. Dude, again, the difference between guys in the big leagues now and guys in, in college or anywhere else or guys in the minor leagues is just consistency. That's all it is. It's just consistent. They're, they're, they consistently show up each day. They consistently stay off the injured list. They consistently do the things necessary to keep themselves playing. So it's no different for us. I want that person who's going to consistently show up on time every day, who's going to consistently do the things we ask of them in order to be successful, who's going to do everything consistent. That's what I mean by effort. That gets overlooked. We always want to go with the person who's got the best number rather than the person who's the most consistent. Because I'm telling you right now, the person who's the most consistent is going to be here two, three, four, five, six years. And what they contribute in four, five, six years is going to outweigh whatever that hot hand does in two months. Yeah, I actually had to learn that lesson uh, in the music industry. Um, A little short story. I was uh, working on uh, We Belong Together. Mar- Mariah Carey, um, mm-hmm. and and it was me and a producer named Drummer Boy, uh, and uh, you know they wanted me me or him to come up with the drum pattern or whatever, right? So I end up coming up with a drum pattern, and you know uh, Brian Brian Cox didn't like it, right? So instead of 
me trying to just be consistent and make another drum pattern. I got in my feelings, <laughs> and drummer boy ended up making a drum pattern. Brian didn't like it. Drum pattern. Brian didn't like it. He just made three, four, five drum patterns, and then and then Brian ended up liking the the six one, and now he has a Grammy, and I don't. You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. he was one not emotional about being consistent and not being tore down by you know somebody saying like you know you're not good enough and and i was just all wrapped up in my emotions and and now he had the grammy and i don't mm, so that's tough yeah so chris i listen man we appreciate your time today i know uh it's been a, a crazy week for you uh had, had had your second child last week um, so yeah. you're, you're juggling all that. So we, we definitely appreciate your time this morning. I would ask one more thing of you, uh, yeah. you know, if, let's say that we've got maybe someone who most of their life has been dedicated to athletics and maybe they're, they're struggling in, in finding that field. Um, w- what advice would you have for them in, in looking for maybe what their next career opportunity should be or what opportunities are out there for them? Um, maybe in an industry like ours. Man, so I, I think the biggest thing is, is especially in our industry, biggest piece of advice I could give you, and the reason why I love our industry, especially for people who are athletes, is when you're when you're in athletics, at some point or another, you learn that competitive spirit, and, and I think that I think it goes back to when you're a kid, right, playing with team sports. You learn how to compete, whether or not you're competing because you want your your people to the left and right of you to win, or whether or not you're competing because you want to be the best in that game, or whatever the situation is. You learn how to compete. And once you learn how to compete, I, I feel like when you get that competitive drive, it stays with you. And people in our industry who are competitive tend to always do well. And the reason why is because it's a constant. Every week's different, right? So you're constantly having to outdo the week previous. You're constantly having to outdo something different. And the outcome is always a different result. And that's what's neat about what we do. And so for athletes, man, if you're looking, if you're looking for an industry, I think the biggest thing that you've got to understand is what industry can I get in that's going to keep me in a constant state of competition? That's going to allow me the, you know, allow me the accolades of success, right? Because that's the biggest thing as an athlete. Not only do you want to perform well, you want people to recognize it. So what's going to allow me to, to the accolades of success? And then on top of that, what's going to put me in a position professionally and financially to get where I want to go? And it's like a business athlete, right? So the business side of it is the execution of what gets done, right? The, 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 everything that encompasses that. But then that athlete side is the competitiveness of winning. And that, and that drive to be able to continue to better yourself and understanding that each week you get to compete to drive a different result. And to me, man, that's the ultimate thing that, that excites me about this industry and it excites me about what we do is, is you constantly have to work on yourself and constantly work on, on, on being better. And anytime you have to do that and you get to compete with yourself, man, that's, 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 the, ultimate, that's the ultimate competitor right there. Nobody better to compete with than the person you got to look at when you're standing in front of the mirror. Facts. That's good. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So listen, uh, we're going we're gonna to let you jump off here. Um, and once again, appreciate your time. Good luck juggling a, uh, a two-year-old and a newborn yeah. over these next couple of weeks. We hope <laughs> you get some sleep. And uh, we'll, uh, appreciate it, man. We'll, hey, we'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, Yeah, Chris. guys, I'm looking forward to it, man. I appreciate it. So final thoughts with the crew, Brandon, what you got? Um, it was a couple, uh, a couple of things that related to me and my journey, um, here. Um, especially that, uh, as you go into the higher level, like you're not as good as you think you are getting higher, higher up that, up that ladder. Um, I definitely related to that. Cause I remember being like the big, the big fish in, in New Haven, Connecticut. And then, um, you know, getting signed to Def Jam and, and I'm like <laughs> just one of the producers now and, you know, having to make your way through there. Um, to so, learn that humility. Oh my God, it's horrible. But yeah, but yeah, I definitely related to that. Um, and, and, uh, and just that transition from doing, I, I put in my notes, uh, playing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, playing a sport or, you know, being in music, you know, you're not really doing you're not really doing anything important 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? To something that is as important as what we do now. You know what I mean? That transition for me uh, took a little while because, um, you know, you, you have your ego in your way for most part of that transition. And you're like, you know, I can be doing this. I can be doing that. And then you have a situation uh, in my in my uh, case, it was like, you know, my first time doing like a uh, a death claim. It's like, yo, what I'm doing right now is way important, way more important than what I was doing. You know, even though wow. that was fun to do. Yeah. This is way more important for, you know, the family that I'm working with or, you know, just the community that you're serving. Um, and those transitions, that's why I, I was really um, trying to figure out how was he, you know, how did he get over that depression in three months? <laughs> because I was I was tore up yeah, in that transition. Bad. But I did relate to him in those two instances. I, I can relate to uh, to you a little bit, Brandon. Um because I think about not necessarily, uh, well, I guess you could say it's a job, uh, previous career, you know, coming out of school and, you know, going on Wall Street and being successful earlier on in life. It, it's almost damaging because you see success so fast. And, and so early. And so early that, you know, you think that this is never going to end, right? This is going to be your life forever, mm-hmm. and then when that rug gets pulled pulled underneath, uh, away from, or rather from underneath your feet, now you're trying to figure out what's next. And I tell people all the time, that's that for me is what's what is a midlife crisis. It's not you know you hit a certain age and you know you you buy a convertible and you know you're dating twenty year olds. That's not it. It's when you are fortunate and blessed to do what you love for an extended period of time. And that gets pulled from you. Yeah. How do you pivot? How do you bounce back? How do you find your way? And that, to me, is uh, a, a lesson that uh, and humility, and and it's a lesson that a lot of people haven't learned yet. Yeah. And um, you know, it, and listening to him with his transition from baseball to our sector, the financial sector, and and the hum- and the humility of you know not knowing his suit size <laughs> you know you go from making a couple of million dollars and now you're like dad please help me buy this suit <laughs> that's that's humbling yeah that's that's a big slice of humble pie oh it's me um I, it's two things man it, it's about seizing the opportunity one um and also about the patience of knowing that rejection is just really redirection so <clears throat> a lot of times in and I guess in the sport uh baseball, I guess that's how we that's how we started this. Um we all know that, you know, everything doesn't work in your favor, right? So it, for me that hits home because I I all my whole life all I wanted to do was be a part of the music community. That's it, right? But I only got involved in music because I got hurt playing sports. You feel what I'm saying? So I feel like every single part of my life has been because of some sort of failure that redirected me. You feel what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> um, for don't I, so when I was 15 years old, I, I, I tore my ACL for the first time, and I was sitting at home with a piano. So that's how I got into music for real, for real. I was always around it. I was a part of it, but I really got into it then. Um, got into music, uh, did my thing, moved to Atlanta, uh, started a company with a friend of mine, and it failed miserably like had every resource that people would dream of but it failed which redirected me into where we are now and now i think every part of those things could have either crumbled me made me feel some kind of way about everything but it really redirected me into where i feel like my purpose really is and so all those experiences compiled together in the losses and taught me lessons losses taught me lessons that's that's a fact um, of where I need to be, and I'm able now to balance a little bit of all of it, but still focus on the thing that I'm helping other people right now, and that's I think a bigger part of my purpose. And I think sometimes we spend so much so much time on one area trying to recreate or uh, revive something that you know I'm, I'm, I'm a different kind of God that God or the universe, whatever you believe, has closed the door on, so that you can get to somewhere else. And I think that's the biggest part about victories and losses is the ability to keep moving forward. 
and not looking behind you. And if you continue to look forward, there's no way you, you got to keep progressing. You know, when I come to work every day, I'm in traffic, a lot of traffic. I come, it's a 45-minute to an hour drive with traffic. Now, you got a couple options. You can uh, have a bad attitude about it, and then your morning is jacked up. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can keep your attitude in a good place and use that time to better yourself. Like we talk about listening to certain things. Like, this might be my time to uh, feed my spirit, right? So it's it's about approach. Now, and when I'm traveling, I get the opportunity to merge, right? And when I'm merging, I can either uh, continue a path and seek an opportunity, or I can get behind someone who I know is moving slow and and mess up my whole morning, right? (laughs) So you got an opportunity to do a lot of different things in traffic. Like, I think everyday experiences kind of show us life journeys as well so i'm just trying to learn from those lessons and those losses uh and keep moving uh in the traffic of life and i think uh overcoming them uh and understanding that failures are a part of life and a part of the journey was the biggest thing i think you mentioned something sam uh, you know if you're a person of faith you you understand that god's never going to present you with any losses or adversity that that you can't handle and so recognizing that there's a reason for that right um, and then ultimately turning that into opportunity. Right. One of the things that I had written down from our conversation with Chris was that that baseball taught him consistency and that that consistency he felt like had contributed to his success outside of baseball. Um, and Brandon, to your point, talking about the how quickly he made that adjustment out of baseball. And, and as he mentioned, you know, mentally that took – a longer period of time than probably what it showed on the outside. But I think that that contributes to the consistency that, that baseball taught him. Um, you know, obviously we're in the people business. We deal with people every day and we, we see people presented with the obstacles that life is always going to throw at you, whether it's the death of a family member, um, whatever the case may be. And we see how people respond to those oftentimes very differently. Um, and I think, Chris talked about the, um, the the schedule of baseball and, and how grueling that was, especially in those minor league days. And, you know, the reality was is it didn't matter if he didn't feel good. It didn't matter if he just got in an argument with his girlfriend at the time. Um, you know, I would be willing to bet that if he had lost a parent during that time, there probably would have been a little time off. But that team's going to expect you to be back at practice. Mm-hmm. And so I think that – what that realized, he had to work through a lot of that adversity and not let him, not let it affect his daily life because he had to be back at that workout at 8 a.m. that next morning or batting practice or that game. And I think that that's the link that a lot of people miss um, is realizing that regardless of the loss or the adversity, it, life has to go on. Um, and that consistency is key. So that, that was probably my biggest takeaway. So again, thanks to Chris. We hope you got something out of this episode today. If you did, we'd love to hear your feedback, comment, share, post. Look forward to talking to y'all next week. If you got 1% of value from this podcast, do us a favor. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Tell your friend. Tell your coworker. Until we meet again. Lead one. Thank you.